And I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 1. It's on page 675 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Or if you have your own Bible, you just open up. It's about just about halfway in the middle of the Bible. It's right about the center. It depends on how many notes you have at the end of your Bible as to whether it will be right in the center. But if you kind of flop it right open to the center, you'll be close to Isaiah. You may be in Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah. It's right, right in there somewhere. And I invite you to open it to Isaiah chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17 in a moment. Much of the Old Testament consists of books that we call the major and minor prophets. Isaiah is one such book. It was written about the 7th century B.C. And these, these books, these prophetic books, are messages from God that are delivered to these prophets who then deliver them to the people of Israel. Although some of the messages, they're primarily to the people of Israel, and some of the messages are to the nations that surround Israel as well. And when we look at these books, oftentimes they contain some prediction about future events. But that's not the only feature of a prophetic book. That's what we think of when we think of a prophet, right? A prophet is somebody who says, what's going to happen in the future? But when we look at these books, we'll see that that's part of it, but there's a, another part of it. These messages were warnings to Israel and the other nations about their sin. And what God would do is he would remind the people of their sin. And a lot of times it was like a laundry list, you know. Here are the things I have against you, O Israel. And he would start to list them. And then he would say, you need to turn away from these sins. As a nation, you need to turn away from these sins. And if you don't, then I'm going to bring judgment on you. That is the message that Isaiah had for the people of Israel. And, and like a lot of the other prophetic books, there's a laundry list of sins that they have committed against God as a nation. We're not going to look at that entire list. We're going to look at one particular issue that God has with the people of Israel. And from that, we're going to gain some principles that we can apply to our lives here in 21st century America. So look with me at Isaiah chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. Wash and make yourselves clean. Now he's speaking metaphorically here. He's speaking spiritually about their sin. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. What does that look like? Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Father, we pray that you would enable us not only to hear but to do what you have called us to do this morning. Lord, open our eyes to how this Verse, these two verses written to a people centuries and centuries ago still has a relevant message for us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One video version of the NPR radio show, This American Life, captured the story of a prize-winning photojournalist. At one point in the interview, he soberly confesses that Many photojournalists remain spectators as they observe and record the misfortunes of others. And then he told the interviewer a disturbing story about an incident in which he continued snapping pictures as a woman eventually drowned. He said this, I was sent out on an assignment from when I was working with the Lawrence Eagle Tribune. They wanted pictures of a coastal storm. So I went out to nearby Plum Island. I, I walked out on the beach and there was this one figure standing by the ocean looking out. 
And at this point in the program, the video scans to a photo that shows a, a lone woman standing on the shore's edge with waves crashing in front of her. This was the first picture that he took that day. He continues, She was drinking a beer, and a split second after this picture was taken, a wave came in and it hit the embankment below her feet. It knocked the sand out, and she went sliding into the water. And then the, the video now scans to a second photo that shows a woman lying in the shallow water after the wave retreated. Then he said, I was probably about 50 feet away from her, shooting with a telephoto lens. She was in the water, either in shock or drunk or whatever, and I thought about, okay, am I going to make a rescue? I've already got the shot I need. And then the video turns to a third photo. It shows two men approaching the woman who has her hand outstretched. He goes on, I, I turned around and within 100 feet of me there was a lifeguard so I continued to photograph the sequence. There was someone who has, was with the lifeguard who got there first. He rushed to her. He was ready to reach out and grab her and pull her to safety, but at the last second, something stopped him. And Now the video pans to a next photo of two men backing off as a large wave prepares to crash on top of the helpless woman. And then the photojournalist finishes the story. The wave looked to me like it was 20 feet high. Within seconds after this photo was taken, she was covered by the wave. I realized that she was gone. The sin, he's continuing now. The sequence of pictures received quite a bit of attention. A lot of criticism came to the Lawrence Eagle Tribune about their photographer who watched someone drown in the ocean while he just continued to take pictures. Later in the interview, he admits that he could have made a difference, but instead he chose to observe and take pictures. Today is Compassion Sunday at First Baptist Church in Alachua. It's a day that we're going to ask you to consider sponsoring a child in poverty somewhere in the world. And you'll have a choice to make. You can make a difference or you can observe while literally millions of children die every year of malnutrition and many more suffer the debilitating effects of poverty. This morning, I hope that if you are able, that you will sponsor a child, or two, or three, or whatever you can. But I want to do more than just hope that you do that. I want to compel you, through the words of the prophet Isaiah, to sponsor a child by showing you from this chapter why it is so important that we do so. Here's the first reason why you should make a difference by sponsoring a child. God cares about social righteousness. God cares about social righteousness. You know, when we talk about righteousness or, or godliness in the Christian life, we're often talking about it from the perspective of, of, uh, of personal moral behavior. Right? This is very common in many evangelical churches, including this one. We're talking about making good moral choices. And so we'll say things like, you know, don't lie, tell the truth. Right? Don't, uh, don't cheat, earn what you get. Don't steal, respect the, the property of others. Don't act on every sexual impulse, practice sexual purity, wait until you're married, and so on. And we'll talk about personal moral choices that we need to make. We also talk about godliness in terms of our interpersonal relationships with others. So, so if, if someone has wronged you, they've sinned against you, then, then as a Christian you are to forgive them. If you're in conflict with somebody, you're to go and to, to resolve that conflict. If you have been wrong 
then you are to ask for forgiveness from someone else. And we'll, we'll even talk about righteousness from a spiritual point of view. That, that you should worship the one true God and, and Him alone and no other gods. You should put nothing in your life before God. This is what godly people do. But look at the sin that God confronts Israel with here. And throughout the book, He'll confront them with some of these other sins. But look at the one He confronts them with here. It is social in nature. It has to do with how we treat those who are needy and vulnerable. It has to do with the responsibility we have as followers of God. And of course, in this ancient society, the widows and the orphans are the most disadvantaged of all people. If your, your husband or your father dies, he's no longer there, no longer able to provide for you and to defend you and to protect you, then they become poor and easily exploited. And without someone there to take up their cause, they so often end up being abused by others and struggling along in their poverty. That was what was true in this ancient society of people who didn't have someone, a father or a husband there to provide. But listen, this is true in many parts of our world still today. And if we're going to talk about righteousness, it's not enough just to love God and worship Him, to seek reconciliation with others, to make good moral choices. All of that is a part of righteousness. But it's not enough if we turn a blind eye to the plight of those who are in need and cannot help themselves. Righteousness in God's eyes includes how we treat others when they are in need and we know about it. Look at what James says. This is in your notes. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. I think this is one reason why Christians tend to be more generous than people who have a completely secular worldview. People have a worldview that says, you know, this, this world is all there is. The material universe is all there is. There is no life after this. There is no spiritual reality. There is no God Arthur Brooks wrote a book a couple of years ago called Who Really Cares? And the subtitle of this book is this, America's Charity Divide, Who Gives, Who Doesn't, and Why It Matters. In it, he noted that among people making $49,000 a year, those who were religious gave 3.5 times more money to charitable causes than those who were not. They were twice as likely to volunteer, and they gave 57% more to the homeless than those who had a secular background. Why? Because I think we understand that this is a part of practicing righteousness in our lives. Today you have the opportunity to practice social righteousness. Now listen, I know that you didn't cause the poverty of those who suffer with it. You didn't cause the injustice of those who are living in an unjust system. I understand that, but today you have the chance to do something about it. And when you do, you are practicing social righteousness. Here's the second reason why you should sponsor a child. Number two, righteousness is active, not passive. Righteousness is active, not passive. Notice the active words in this, this passage that we just looked at. Seek, defend, take up, plead. See, righteousness is something that's proactive. The righteous person doesn't sit back and, 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 and wait till, till the need comes to their doorstep before they get involved. No. She takes the initiative. He seeks out those who are hurting. Last week we looked at some statistics. 
of those in poverty. We looked at quite a few. We're not going to look at all of them, but I put just a few as by way of reminder in your notes, just to remind you of the world we live in. Over 1.4 billion people in the developing world live below the poverty line. That's about $1.25 a day. More than 6 million children die from malnutrition every year. More than 140 million of all children in developing countries are underweight and at risk for the long-term effects of malnourishment. Worldwide, 126 million children work in hazardous conditions, often enduring beatings, humiliation, and other things. An estimated 1.2 million children, both boys and girls, are trafficked each year into exploitive work in agriculture, mining, factories, armed conflict, and other things. Now listen, most of that kind of deep, deep need is out there somewhere, right? It's not next door. It's not in your neighborhood. Now, I understand as a country, we have an increasing problem with, with human trafficking. I understand that. But most of that deep, deep need that we see in the world is out there somewhere. Which means if you're going to do something about it, that you've got to take the initiative because they cannot. The people who are in these conditions, the people who are in these situations cannot help themselves. In fact, it is because they are powerless and vulnerable that these people, these impoverished people, many of them children, cannot defend themselves. They cannot seek justice. They cannot change their situation. Righteousness means taking action on their behalf. It means you take the effort to find the money in your budget. To find the thing you really don't need in your life so that you can help somebody who is in need. It means that this morning when this service is over, instead of just rushing out to lunch, you take a few minutes and you stop and you talk to one of the people that we're going to have placed around the church about finding out about how you can sponsor a child and, and doing it this morning. And it means you follow through on your commitment. Listen, our good intentions won't fill a hungry stomach, but our actions will. Righteousness is active, not passive. Sponsor a child today because it is an active thing that we do. And then number three, you and I need to sponsor a child in need this morning because those who are most needy are most vulnerable. Those who are most needy are most vulnerable. The goal of Compassion International and other Christian relief organizations is not just to fill a hungry stomach. As important as that is when you're in hunger, that's not their only goal. It is to help those to, who are in poverty to move out of poverty, as we saw in the video already this morning. Because when they do that, when somebody moves from being in a situation of poverty to out of poverty, they become less vulnerable to exploitation. Poverty breeds exploitation. Did you know that one in every five Ugandan widows and orphans are victims of illegal property seizure? So in Uganda, when, when a father or a husband dies, that family, one in five of those families, has their property illegally taken away from them. Why? Because they cannot defend themselves. An organization called the International Labor Organization said this, Born to parents who themselves were uneducated child workers, many child workers are forced to continue a tradition that leaves them chained to a life of poverty. Sometimes it's not that, though. That's not the reason why all children who are in forced labor end up there. Sometimes it's because their parents sell them into forced labor in order to secure a loan or to pay a debt. 
I think that's why God refers so often to the needs of widows and orphans because these represent the poor of the poor. These represent people who are truly needy and cannot help themselves. That's why prophet after prophet in the Old Testament condemns Israel and many other nations for how they treat those who are in need, the orphans and the widows. That's why the Mosaic Law contains provisions designed to protect the poor. And that's why you and I must do what we can to help a child who's in poverty today. In a few moments, we're going to end the service with an opportunity for you to sponsor a child. And I want you to notice my sermon is shorter this morning, is it not? Don't get used to it. But that's because our worship service is not going to end at the closing prayer. This morning. Normally it does. This morning it doesn't. This morning our, after we pray, our worship service is going to continue with a time of application where you are going to have the ability to sponsor a child this morning. And this is what's going to happen. We're going to have several people located around our church. We have a table in the back that has some, some packets uh, about different children in different parts of the world. And you can look through those packets and you can choose one and say, I want to sponsor this child. There's hard copies right there. The loafings are going to be back there to help you to do that. Uh, but we're also going to have a way for you to do this electronically. If you want to 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 uh, look for a different way to sponsor a child, you want to find the most needy child, you want to find a child in a certain part of the world, you want to find a child that's been waiting the longest for a sponsor, we're going to have some people with iPads that have a special app on them that's going to enable you right now to find the child you want to sponsor and to do it. Sherry Cato is going to be in the back with an iPad. Christy Shirelli is going to be down here with an iPad. Uh, uh, Bobby Cato and Elio Shirelli are going to be in our lobby of our family ministry center. In addition, the two computers over there that we use to sign in children are going to be up on the Compassion International website and CJ is going to be there to help you figure out how you can, you can find the child that you want to sponsor and to do it there. We're going to give you as many opportunities as we can this morning to do that. But why Compassion International? Why are we doing it with this organization? There are a lot of good Christian relief organizations in the world. Let me give you four reasons as we close why we're doing it with Compassion. First of all, they are Christ-centered. They teach the gospel to every child in a culturally relevant way and without coercion, and that's so important. Without coercion, they love these children, they share the gospel with these children, and they let God work in their hearts. Number two, they are church-based. As we already heard, they partner with over 5,900 Christ-centered churches to teach, train, and mentor children. So it's not just about filling their stomachs, it's much, much more. It's helping them grow into a life where they are not stuck in poverty. Number three, they are child-focused. Each child is known by name and directly benefits from program activities. And number four, they are committed to integrity. More than 80% of their expenditures goes to program activities. They've been recognized by Charity Navigator with the most consecutive four-star ratings of any organization in the country. They've been listed by the American Institute of Philanthropy in their top-rated categories category, top-rated charities category. And they're a member of several accrediting agencies, including the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability and the Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance. Why do I say all that? Because they are an organization that you can trust. They've been around for a long time, 60-plus years They've been doing this a long time. They have a track record. They make sure that as much money as possible goes to the kids and doesn't get hung up in administrative cost. You can trust them. And, if you, and unless you have another way of getting this money to people in need in a safe, secure, and effective way, then this is the way to go. And so this morning, I'm going to encourage you as we end our service to consider how you can help a child in poverty by sponsoring them 
today. Now, why, why are we doing this? We've just looked at some reasons, but ultimately, why are we doing this? Why, as Christians, should we do this? Because we have a God who is a God of compassion. We have a God who looked down on our needs, our spiritual needs. When we are far from Him, when we were uh, in rebellion and sin, and He provided for what we need most in life, a Savior to save us from our sins. We have a God, even though we turned our back on Him. The Bible says God demonstrates His love towards us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He had compassion on us. And in turn, we need to have compassion on those who are in need around the world, not only to meet their spiritual needs, but their physical needs as well. But listen, this morning, if you've never received God's compassion in your life, before you even think about sponsoring a child somewhere in the world, as, as needed and as good as that is, I want you to consider something else. Before you consider giving, I want you to consider receiving God's compassion. He loved you enough to make the ultimate sacrifice, sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sin. He did it so that your sins can be forgiven, so that you can have a relationship with Him. And this morning, I'm going to encourage you, if you have never taken that step of faith, of actively putting your faith in Jesus Christ, do it today. Receive His compassion. Can you imagine a child somewhere in the world and somebody in a church like this signs up and says, I'm going to sponsor this child and the money is sent to provide for that child's basic needs of survival day to day and that child says, you know, I don't really think I want that. Can you imagine that? We'd say, what, are you crazy? Somebody is providing you food and education to help you survive and, and prosper in this life. Mm. I don't think so. Listen, that's what we do when we don't accept the gift of eternal life that God has offered us. What we're saying to God is, eh, I don't really think I need that. But we do. And if you're ready this morning to take that step of faith, I want to help you do that. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. If everybody just close your eyes and bow your heads. And, and the reason I have you do this is because we're going to enter into a time of prayer. And if you're here and you're saying, this morning, I, I want to accept God's compassion through Jesus Christ, then I want you to do something. I want you to offer Him a prayer. It's just talking to God. Make this your own, from your heart to His. Just silently lift this prayer up to Him. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've done things that are wrong. but I know that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I know that you are a compassionate God. And I believe that if I put my trust in Jesus, you will forgive me and you will save me. And so this morning, the best I know how, I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you for saving me. Teach me now to live as your child in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for anybody who maybe offered that prayer up this morning, recognizing their sin and recognizing your provision. 
Lord, I pray that you would convince them of the truth of your word, that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, I pray for everyone else in this room who has crossed that line of faith at some point in their life and has entered into that relationship with you, has received your compassion. Lord, that you would draw them to express your love and your compassion to a child in need somewhere in the world. Father, may we take up the cause of the fatherless this morning. Those who are most needy, And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.